one thing I hate is change. So I'm talking about change in my pockets. Um, so I, I just hate change, especially as the finance guy, when I get bags of change because you have to put them in the coin machine, then you have to run the coin machine, and if they get stuck in the papers, you have to take the part. I hate change. Probably goes back to when I was a kid. I had this nice little piggy bank and uh, got it for Christmas. Had three parts to it. One was for church, one was for some important stuff, and another was for fun. So I saved up for years in this piggy bank, super excited. We get it. We take it to the, the Kroger, which was the grocery store, and they had these big coin star machines. I am pumped. Dumped all the change in there, and it's like $16. <laughs> and I'm like, I've been saving for months, and now I've got $16, and six of it's going to the church, and then the rest, I got, so I got $10, and I'm like, change is the worst. I hate it. But I'm uh, going to talk about a little bit different change tonight. Um, I think it's safe to say a lot of people dislike change in their life. Some people would even say, I hate change. Who would say, I hate change? Anybody like that? Okay. Anybody just, just kind of dislike change? Anybody love change? You're like, I love change. I rearrange my furniture every week. Okay, okay, that, okay. That, some people are like that. Some people like, like change. But uh, there's a lot of things that change in our life. We change our, where we live. We change who we live with. We get different neighbors. We change jobs. I saw that Amer- the average American has eight jobs by the time they're 40. That's a lot of change change schools, you change car, you change the batteries in your TV remote, uh, you personally change, you get taller, you get older, stronger, weaker, you get new clothes, you get new shoes, you change your glasses, you change happens every day. And change can be scary. I, I read a news article from 1829, and that was the, the first year that the railroads were brought to America, 1829, and people were scared. Like people were so scared and people in the headline said the downfall of America. Trains. Here's what uh, the president at the time, he received a letter. I wrote the letter. He says, as you may know, Mr. President, and he put it in quotations, railroad carriages are pulled at an enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by quote-unquote, engines, which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fires to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty God, so he went spiritual, the Almighty God certainly never intended people should travel on trains at such break neck speed. Here's the scary part. Signed, Martin. So, scary times. Thankfully, he changed his mind and had a good presidency, but change is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's either happening now or it's going to happen. And while everything in our lives change, there's one thing that remains the same, and that's God. God never changes. The Bible says in Hebrews 13.8, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
So as we continue in our Exodus series, in Exodus chapter 4, we're going to learn the lesson that God never changes. God never changes. Last week, Pastor Pete, he, uh, he finished the excuses that Moses had. Moses had a lot of excuses of why he did not want to be the p- person to lead the nation out of Israel. So think really quick context here. Moses put in a basket, raised by Pharaoh's daughter, killed an Egyptian, had to flee for 40 years. God calls him in the burning bush. He makes excuses and finally agrees to go with Aaron to lead the people out of Israel. So that's where we pick up our story. Moses and Aaron have traveled back across the desert. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 29, they gather the people. Here they have come to tell the people, hey, God will get you out of Egypt. Right now they're slaves. So here we go. Exodus 4, verse 29. He says, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So here, they, he's got all the people. And he tells them, hey, God is going to get you out of Egypt. Now here they are slaves, so they have a pretty bad life. And the Bible says that they believed, and when they heard, they worshipped. Now think about that night. Like, think about when they went home. How do you think the people, do you think they slept that night? Like, here Moses and Aaron said, hey, we're going to leave Egypt. We're going to go to Israel, the promised land. And so, you're done. You're no longer going to be a slave. Do you think that night was a, a time of happiness? Like, do you think they went home and they had a party? Like, hey, we are getting out of Egypt. I mean, things are going to be good. Do you think they started packing their bags? Like, all right, kids, one bag per kid because we can't take all this furniture. We're going to take it to the yard mart. All right, I don't know. What do, you think, what do you think they did with all this stuff? I mean, I probably wouldn't sleep that night because I've just been told by Moses and Aaron that God said we will get out. And the Bible says in verse 31, the people believed. They knew what God had promised, and they knew it was going to happen. So here they are. They're excited. I mean, Think about work the next morning. Do you think they walked into work or maybe they skipped work? Like, hey, we're getting out of here. We're not even going. Or do you think they walked into work and they're like, what's up, guy? What's up, boss? Today's my last day of work. What do you mean? Moses and Aaron are getting us out of here. Like, they're talking back to their boss. They're like, hey, we're not working today. Moses and Aaron, God is getting us out. I don't know. I'd like to think of how they reacted. Think about the next morning. The next morning as Moses and Aaron are walking to the palace to tell Pharaoh God's getting the people out. I can imagine in my sanctified imagination that the, they, they're cheering. Like I could see Moses and Aaron like walking like, hey, we're going to be the guys to get these people out. Like do you think they formed a line and they're chanting, Moses, Moses. Like they're happy because they're leaving changes. The Bible says in verse 1, and afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Verse 2, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, uh, the, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens. So they walk in, they say, Hey, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is kind of mockery. Who is the Lord? Um, I'm not sure I heard that. I'm not sure I've heard about that God. Is that the sun God, the moon God, the animal God? Uh, you think I'm going to listen to him, the Lord? Who is the Lord? He says, I'm not letting Israel go. You guys need to get back to work. But then he takes it a step further. He's like, hmm, these Israelites, they they think, they think, they think really hard. They think really hard. So they think, there we go. They think, wow, they don't want to think. Let's move it, let's move it back. So they're still thinking because it's, it's really hard to think here. So, th they're, so they're thinking. Man, this is not good. I'm going to grab a handheld. Let's do that. I'm going to grab two. Still thinking. There we go. Okay, so uh, we pick up with Exodus chapter 5. We're still in verse 5. There, there's Pharaoh's thinking, wait, these people are busy. They're not, I mean, are they not busy? Are they idle? Do they not have enough work to do. So look in verse 6. Exodus chapter 5, verse 6. It says, And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of bricks which they did make before, you shall lay upon them. You shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Skip down to verse 13. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily task, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore, have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? He says, so here's what happens. Moses and Aaron, standing before Pharaoh, Pharaoh starts to think, wait, they want to leave? They must not have enough work to do. They are idle, he says. So, hey, let's give them more work to do. Hey, tell the taskmasters to take away the straw, which can't make bricks without straw. So they almost double their workload, but they have to still build the same amount that they're building every day. He says, 
You know what? They're lazy. In verse uh, 8, he, it's almost he mocks them at the end. He says, therefore they cry, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. So that's what he does. He takes the straw away. He says they're lazy. The people of Israel and or the leaders were beaten and demanded, fulfill the same amount of work with not as much straw. So think about Moses and Aaron. Here they are. We'll go, Pharaoh says. No, I'm not going to do that. And then he says, you know what? Let's make their work harder. So you think Moses and Aaron are like, um, wait a second. Uh, Pharaoh, nope, they're not, they're not lazy. They're, we just want to go worship. Oh, Aaron, say something. I don't, I don't know. Like, it's going downhill fast. All of this takes place before Moses and Aaron even leave the palace. So they walk out. Look at verse 19, Exodus chapter 5, verse 19. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. They were in a bad situation. And after it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of the daily task. They said, hey, this is bad. We cannot do this. We're not going to survive. Verse 20. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. The people met Moses and Aaron but as they were leaving the palace. I mean, Moses and Aaron are probably like, oh, man, they're like, Maybe they're walking out trying to, trying to hide, make sure no one sees them. Because they know what Pharaoh just did is going to be bad for the people of Israel. They hated him. They, they went and they said, we want to kill you. They said, the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us hated in the sight of God or in, in the sight of Pharaoh. And he says, to put a sword in their hand to slay us, you're going to get us killed. There's no way we can survive this. So Moses slowly makes his way, gets away from this angry mob, and, and he goes to God. Look at verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Moses goes, and he goes to God, and he says, um, God, wait a second. Why are you treating your people this way? Why are you treating your people evil? Um, God, why did you send me? Didn't I tell you back at the burning bush that I didn't want to go? I told you. I told you I didn't want to go. I said, send somebody else, and now look where you got me. Ever since I came, he says, only evil. Ever since I've been a part of this situation, it's gone bad. I have gone from the hero to zero. The people are still slaves. You haven't delivered them. So, God, uh, what's going on here? Now, we have the benefit of knowing the whole story. So, it's easy for us to look at Moses and say, Moses, calm down, calm down. It's going to be okay. But... Moses doesn't know what's going to happen next. He doesn't know exactly how God will work. 
So I don't want to distance ourselves too far from Moses. Because if we were in that situation, if we were where Moses was, we'd probably have a lot of the same questions, the same attitude, the same concern. Like, God, what are you doing? God responds in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he shall let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. God says, my promise hasn't changed. He says, I, I'm going to deliver them. He said, Pharaoh will let them go. He says, hey, Moses, I'm still God. I'm still God. I'm the same God over Abraham, over Isaac, over Jacob. I haven't forgotten my promises. I hear them. I hear my people crying. He says, go back, tell the people I remembered my covenant, and I am the Lord. So what changed? From what the time where they believed until the time where everything went downhill, everything around them changed but God never did. See, God never changes. And from this, from this story, I think there's two lessons we can learn, two valuable lessons about the character of God, that God never changes. The first one is everything in our life can change, but God never does. Everything in our life can change, but God never does. Think about Moses. In the Israelites, they come in, he tells the promise of God, they, they get this emotional high, they believe, they worship, but their work is increased. Moses is scared, the people want to kill him. He goes back to God, and then God says, hey, oh, I'm still God. So it's this roller coaster, everything around them, the, 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 the circumstances changed, but God did not. See, God is still loving, even when someone we love passes away. God is still the great healer, even if we are sick or we have, we have cancer. God is still in control, even when we lose our job or we, we don't get that promotion or we don't make enough money, it seems. God's still all-powerful when everything around us fails. See, our circumstances, our, our earthly things around us may change, but God never does. I use this illustration in our connection class this morning, but I'm like, wouldn't it be nice sometimes you think, I wish God would just give me a book about what my life is going to be. Like everything that was going to happen, I had it. Now, the first thing I would do is I would turn to the last page and find out, oh, okay, that's when I'm going to die. Whoa, that's how I'm going to die. Okay, probably scare us, right? So can you imagine getting a book like Caleb Nicely? He's in second grade. Can you imagine if Caleb got a book and it said who he's going to marry? Like, I mean, that would be kind of crazy, right? Like, he doesn't need to know that. And his parents would be like, who is this girl? Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, we got to work on that. I don't know. Um, 
like if you had a book and you looked in two years, something bad's going to happen. You'd spend two years of your life stressing over that event. See, if we knew everything that was going to happen, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't have to trust God. God says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, God doesn't give us a, a roadmap of specifics. He gives us the word of God, which tells us how to take the next step. So that no matter what happens around us, even though things may change all around us, the word of God says, here's the next place to go. And we can know that God never changes. We don't know what the future holds, but, but we have a God who's powerful. No matter what comes into your life, hold fast to the fact we have an unchanging God. Everything in our life may change. Every circumstance in our life may change. The people will change. Our, us physically, mentally, spiritually, will go through highs and lows, but God never does. Don't let circumstances change, but God never does. The second lesson we can learn from Moses and the Israelites is that your failed expectations do not mean God failed you. Let me say that one more time. Your failed expectations do not mean that God failed you. Think about Moses and the Israelites. They had personal expectations on God. So they hear, God is going to deliver us. Okay, Moses and Aaron, they're going to walk in. They're going to say, Pharaoh, let my people go, and we're out of here. See, they heard the word of God, and, and it's as if they took the promises and they took the character of God and they tried to squeeze them into their box. Many times we take what we know about God. Oh, God's all powerful. He's got to heal this person. God, you're the great healer. You can do it. We take what we know about God and we try to put our plans and say, okay, God, you know everything. You're all powerful. You can do anything. Here's, um, let me write it down. Let me write it down for you, God. Here's what you should do. And many times we're like Moses and the people of Israel. God, if I were all powerful, I'd do it this way. If I was in charge, God, then um, here, this is my plan. But when we do that, we have disappointment. Because things around it don't go how we wanted, how we planned. And here the people of Israel got so mad they wanted to kill Moses because this wasn't their plan. This isn't how they envisioned it. This isn't what they wanted. But God says, hey, I didn't change. I didn't forget. I hear your groanings. I hear you. I know that you're crying out to me. I still hear you. I'm still God. And I still will keep my promises. Which is better, your expectations or God's plan? To put yourself in God's shoes is to say that God's plan is not best. Well, God, this is my plan. No, God's in charge. God is sovereign, and God's plan is better. We should trust and have confidence, have faith in the character and the promise of God. So change is going to happen. Every day, life will change, whether we expect it or not. But our God never does. God never changes. He's the same yesterday. He's the same God today. 
and forever. Everything in our life may change. Circumstances, people, everything. But God never does. So no matter what happens, no matter the situation, cling to the fact that God is unchanging. And then your failed expectations doesn't mean God failed you. It means that his plan is better than we could ever expect, better than we could ever pick for ourselves. So no matter what the changes of life may bring, know that your God never changes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can learn a a valuable lesson from Moses and the people of Israel. Lord, change happens. Life is full of ups and downs and unexpected things, but thankfully we can fully rely and have confidence in in you and a God that never changes. You're the same God of Moses and Abraham and Isaac, the Lord, and you are sovereign and in control. Help us to fully rely and have confidence that you never change. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.